Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lions fans. It's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue. Faces turn red. And rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Daily DLP. Today I'm previewing both the Bucks offense and defense going into tomorrow's tilt with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's start with their offense. The Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales began his coaching career at his high school alma mater, Carson High School. Go Colts. He was the freshman-slash-sophomore team head coach and offensive coordinator for two seasons before he made the jump to El Camino College, Go Warriors, where he began as the tight ends coach and special teams coordinator before moving to the quarterback coach position for his final season. During his time at El Camino College, he developed a relationship with one Pete Carroll, and in 2009, he made the jump to USC as an assistant strength coach. And then Carroll abandoned the program just before the NCAA came in and spanked them for a whole bunch of recruiting violations that ended up having things happen like Reggie Bush getting his seismotrophy pulled, which has never really happened before or since. Uh, (laughs) But he took Canales with him to Seattle. And through all of the changes in offensive and defensive coordinators over the years in Seattle, Dave Canales remained, which is usually a good sign that you're dealing with a good coach when a whole bunch of other coaches are more than happy to work with him. He began as an offensive quality control coach from 2010 to 2012. Then he served as assistant quarterbacks coach from 2013 to 14 before he became the full wide receivers coach from 2015 to 2017. You guys remember the year Doug Baldwin scored 14 touchdowns, right? Who's Doug Baldwin? I can hear many of you asking right now. You like you vaguely remember that name. Well, he was a receiver who was relevant in the league. For the years of 2015 through 2017, when this was his wide receivers coach, and not before or after. In 2018, he moved over to the quarterback coach position. And Russell Wilson set career highs and touchdown passes in two of the next three seasons. But we all know how that ended in Seattle. Russell Wilson and the entire coaching staff kind of decided they hated each other, and that ended. But in 2022... Canales also oversaw the resurrection of Geno Smith's career. And, of course, when something like that happens with a quarterback's coach, they immediately get an offensive coordinator position, and that is how he ended up in Tampa Bay this year. So he's not one of the super cool Shanahan tree guys that have been featured in a bunch of documentaries and have been getting snatched up as head coaches left and right throughout the league. He's more of a control the game by running the ball and setting up deep shots kind of guy. And the problem right now is that the Bucks aren't really set up to do that well in terms of the personnel they have. Uh, this year, his career resurrection project is Baker Mayfield. And let's take a look at how that one's going. Really well. Uh, bluntly, uh, Mayfield's on a pace for a career high in touchdown passes, which if he stays on his current pace, he'll have 30 at the end of the year. 
and the second lowest interception total he's ever had in a full season as a starter with nine. Uh, his yards per attempt are 7.1 and his adjusted yards per attempt are 7.5. And it's the first time he's been on the good side of that calculation since 2020 when he led the Browns to their first playoff win. He's completed 69.6% of his passes this season. Of course, when you have two great wide receivers in the form of Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, that probably makes completing passes much easier. In fact, we kind of know statistically that the offense has been propping up Baker's numbers because nearly half of his passing yards are after the catch. And that takes us to the first way that the Lions need to handle this Buccaneers off offense. Baker's been willing to check down this year. The Lions need to make him do that, and that they need to make the tackle. Guys like Jerry Jacobs and Will Harris, who are going to spend time locked up with Tampa's superstar receivers at points during the game, need to limit the yards after the catch that the people they're covering can get. Like Evans, that's not really his game. Less than a third of his yards are after the catch. He's their deep ball guy. They need to stop him from getting deep shots, obviously. Uh, but of Chris Godwin's 255 yards, 105 of them are after the catch. Rashad White, the Buccaneers' top running back, has 86 receiving yards, and 118 of those are after the catch. Tight end Kate Otten. Almost half of his yards are after the catch. The Buccaneers can run the ball, and Baker Mayfield has the 10th lowest air yards per completion. He has the 9th worst differential between his intended air yards and his completed air yards, and that means that they are trying to throw some deeper stuff. They're just not good at it. The ones they actually complete short passes which means you need to when they complete those passes you need to tackle them Mayfield also has the fifth lowest aggressiveness percentage in the league and that means that he's just not throwing the ball to people who are in tight coverage so that's kind of a key there as well he won't throw to the guys who isn't wide open so don't leave Mike Evans wide open don't mess around leaving your lesser coverage guys in one-on-one -on -one matchups with a future Hall of Famer. Uh, he was listed as limited participant in practice all week, wasn't even running full speed until Friday, and it remains to be seen whether he'll be anything other than a decoy on Sunday, but if you don't cover him, he can still run in a straight line, and he is six foot five. He'll catch the ball if they throw it to him. Uh, three of Baker Mayfield's seven touchdown passes on the season are to Mike Evans. He does need to be covered. He needs to be covered tightly. We'll see if he can actually do anything. If he wasn't in the lineup, basically this offense would be completely toothless. And luckily, this basically is what the Lions have been doing for the last three games. They've been keeping everything in front of them. They've been not letting anything get open deep. But the Buccaneers are coming off a bye week. They've had ample time to prepare for more of the same from the Lions. And this is the quarterback's coach who was part of the recent embarrassments that the Lions have continuously faced against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Glenn should be assuming that as much as the Bucks are capable, he's going to see the foundations of how the Seahawks have embarrassed him personally in the last two years. The same old, same old is how this Lions team gets a punch in the mouth and ends up at 4-2 rather than 5-1. and one. So Glenn needs to show us a new way to apply the same principles and accomplish what he's been accomplishing in the last couple of weeks unless he's sure his guys are just going to line up and beat the brakes off the Bucks' offense. And if that's the case, the third key for the Lions' defense this week is exploiting the weak interior offensive line of the Bucks. 
Running back Rashad White is getting a lot of yards after the catch, but he's only averaging 3.3 yards per carry, and that is not good. It's not the low yards per carry, but high success rate that I've been talking about with Dave Montgomery in terms of the yards that he was putting up to start the year for Detroit. Uh, White success rate's only 44.4%, which is terrible, meaning that he's gained a reasonable amount of yardage relative to the down and distance, significantly less than half of his rushing attempts this year. And that's largely due to the poor play of the interior offensive line. Like White himself hasn't been breaking any tackles either. He's not doing himself or the team any favors. He's only got four broken tackles on the entire season. That's one every 15th carry or so. But the highest grade of any interior offensive lineman that PFF has given this season is uh, Robert Hainsey's 56.7. Um, 65.7% of the pressures allowed by the Bucks have come from the interior offensive line as the primarily at fault person. They've not been able to run block effectively, and they've allowed interior pressure as a percentage. Overall, the Bucks have not allowed a lot of pressure. But when it comes, it comes from the inside. Mayfield's only been sacked four times this season. And to put that in perspective, uh, Sam Howell has personally made mistakes that led to him being sacked 10 times this year. Baker's only done that once, and he's only been sacked four times overall. He's getting the ball relatively quickly, and the Lions need to make that hard for him to do with interior pressure. So shall we move on to the Buccaneers' defense? Their head coach, Todd Bowles, is the defensive play caller, and this defense is his baby. Uh, his playing career in the NFL lasted from 1986 to 1993 as a free safety who couldn't catch, so basically he was Tracy Walker. He spent 95 and 96 on the Packers' player personnel staff on the scouting side. Then he went to go be the defensive coordinator for Morehouse College, Go Maroon Tigers, and then became the secondary coach for Grambling State, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Because it's just the Tigers. It's not fun. And uh, that's when he moved to the NFL, serving as defense backs coach for the Jets, Browns, and Cowboys before joining Tony Sperano's Dolphins regime with a little extra title added on of assistant head coach in 2008. Uh, when Sperano was fired in 2011, Bulls became the interim head coach and went on to finish the season 2-1, and one, probably making some fans angry that he cost them draft spots. Bulls joined the Eagles staff in the next season as their secondary coach, but was promoted mid-season to defensive coordinator in Andy Reid's final season as the Eagles head coach. It's a weird few years for Todd Bulls. He was immediately hired as the Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator, and in 2014, he was made the assistant head coach of the year. And as usually happens, he immediately became a head coach. Unfortunately, the team that hired him was the Jets, and that is always a short-term proposition, it seems. The Jets won 10 games in his first season, then they won 5, then they won 5, and finally, they won 4. While he was the victim of some of the most horrific drafting I have ever seen, but he also chewed through offensive coaches at a rate that is just unacceptable. He had three different offensive coordinators in four seasons. And that is just a sign that you're not doing a great job of working with people, frankly. Uh, the Bulls-Jets teams were characterized by fast starts and then falling off a cliff to finish the season. 
as far as his schematic tendencies goes, he's one of the few coaches that has actually legitimately been able to completely change his strategies and not fall off in quality. It's, it's a very rare, very rare thing for him to have pulled off. He was one of the last adherents to staying in base formations as much as possible, no matter what personnel the offense was using on early downs to primarily stop the run. Uh, but in the last couple of seasons, the Bucks have bent on that strategy, using Nickel as their base formation unless the other team was in a formation that dictated you should have more bigger, slower personnel on the field, like 12 personnel, 13 personnel. Uh, Bulls is used to cover three as the base of his defenses. It's the coverage they use most, but he also sprinkles in a lot of cover two and even cover four to keep offenses guessing. And he runs all of these out of similar looking formations pre-snap. They don't give it away very often. Uh, but... This requires defensive backs with a ludicrously versatile skill set, and this year a few of those defensive backs have been struggling. Jamil Dean has a 46.7 PFF grade on the season, and it definitely shows up on the tape. He is absolutely struggling this year. He signed a big deal this offseason after four years of, of pretty high-level play in Tampa Bay, and it kind of leads you to wonder if maybe he took the offseason well off after getting his big payday. Three games played and started, zero passes defended, zero interceptions, and a whole bunch of tackles. And for a corner, that is not good. He was injured in week three against the Eagles and missed the Bucks week four game, but he appears to be back and ready this week against the Lions, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Strong safety Ryan Neal isn't due to get paid until the end of this year, but he has also hopped on the struggle bus and is having a rough time this season as well. Four games started, no passes defended, no picks, whole bunch of tackles. For a defensive back, this is a stat line that just screams poor play. And again, it kind of, it does show up on the tape. Well, let's get back to Dean, though, uh, because this is where the actual opportunity for exploitation is for the Lions. In that cover three base, he has deep third coverage a significant percentage of the time. Uh, he is also used to being faster than the vast majority of the wide receivers that he faces. The Lions happen to have a guy who is significantly faster than Dean's clocked 4.3 that he ran at the Combine. Like, he's a guy who relies on his athleticism to jump routes and make plays. And the Lions have a guy, one of the probably four guys in the NFL who can take advantage of that because he's more athletic than Dean is. It's a prime week to put that guy in front of him. Of course, I'm talking about Jamison Williams. This is his shot to actually maybe come out of hiding. They got his feet wet last week, made him run some routes, had him do a bunch of blocking. And I think this is an opportunity to put the fear of JMO in the hearts of the league's defenses. The Lions just need to keep Antoine Winfield the hell away from him, and that means they have to have multiple deep routes going at the same time, and that brings me to the second key to attacking this defense. B2V is a game destroyer. There are highlight packages floating around Twitter this week of him playing running back in high school, and that must have been legitimately terrifying to his opponents, because when you're looking at those tapes, he is easily a foot taller than any of those kids, and probably outweighs them by an average of... 80 pounds, like it's just, <laughs> and is more athletic than them. I don't know where he was playing in high school. I didn't bother to look that up. But I suspect it's like the one time I played against a kid who already had a Division I scholarship going into his se se senior year. 
uh, playing in Northern Canada. That was not fun for me. <laughs> uh, but V now is a defensive tackle, and he hasn't been having a good year playing double teams against the run. Chicago, Philly, and New Orleans have been able to get the better of him in their ground game. And part, part of that is that the other defensive tackle is not taking advantage in any way, shape, or form of the single blocking that they're getting as a result of these double teams. Like, they're actually doing even worse. Like, particularly Logan Hall has been about as effective as a blocking sled this year. And it's just so weird right now that the majority of the tackles in the run game for the Tampa Bay defense are being made by defensive backs. And they're still in the middle of the league at 4.1 rushing yards per attempt. Like, particularly with Devin White also playing, like he's allergic to stacking blocks and missing literally one-third of his tackles on run plays. This is an opportunity that only one team has managed to exploit so far. Like, the Saints ran the ball 19 times and threw it 38 times for some reason. The only guy running the ball who wasn't picking up yardage was Taysom Hill. That game was 14-6 to at the end of the third quarter, so it makes absolutely no sense that the Saints just completely abandoned the running game in that game. Uh, the Bears ran 16 times and threw 29 times, despite the fact that they were literally giving up sacks on 20% of their dropbacks, and they threw two interceptions. Like, they were within one score in that game until Justin Fields threw a pick-six on a screen pass with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. That also makes no sense, but Bears gonna bear. The Vikings throwing 44 times and rushing 14 times makes sense because they were getting three yards per carry out of Alexander Madison, who is not very good. How about the Eagles? Well, they ran the ball 40 times and threw it 37 times, and they beat the Bucks by two scores. That's the Bucks' only loss on the season. So luckily, the next key for the Lions' offense is something that they love to do. This isn't a death-by-a-thousand-cuts situation. This is a gut-them-like-a-fish situation. The Bucks are not good against the run, and the only team that's been willing to go there and stay there for four quarters, despite the games being close, is the only team that also beat them. The Lions need to expose that. And unlike some people in Lions media coverage, I don't care what running back they do it with, or where they were drafted, or how much they got paid. There's not really a third thing to exploit against the Bucks D. Like, they're a really damn good group of players overall. Uh, their linebackers go sideline to sideline well, but if you can get blockers on them, they're done. But I guess that's just the how in the run game as opposed to an extra thing. More gap runs than zone runs typically lets you get more linemen on second-level defenders by design. Uh, the Bucks are just outside the top 10 in yards allowed per game, and there is a reason for that. But it's that teams aren't running the ball on them nearly enough. Now, I know it's hard to look at Big V in the middle and say, that's where we're going with the ball. But the Lions need to do that, and they need to do it well. I guess playing a lot of 12 personnel lets Bulls fall into his tendency to use the base defense as often as he can, which opens up opportunities for the Lions to exploit in the passing game, but might also make running the ball more difficult against those defenses. So, these are two good teams. They're both at the top of their division. Should be a good game this week. But, I mean, we're all hoping that it's a terrible game to watch for everyone who isn't a Lions fan and that the Lions win by 30. See you Monday morning with a reaction to the game. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Yes. <laughs>
<laughs> You've had enough of that shit. <laughs>